0: Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander have two to three times the level of psychological distress compared to the rest of the population. So you can imagine on top of that, if you have an eating disorder as well.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Inside Out Institute podcast. My name is Steph Boulay, the host of the podcast. New research shows that eating disorders are much more common among first Australians compared to non-Indigenous Australians. The research by the University of Western Sydney shows that 27% of Indigenous adults have an eating disorder. That's compared to 16% of non-Indigenous adults. There's a similar story when it comes to young people. The stats show that 28% of Indigenous high schoolers have an eating disorder compared to nearly 22% of other Australian teens. I caught up with Dr. Adam Burt, who is the lead author of the research and a proud member of the Wiradjuri from central New South Wales. To start off, Dr. Burt told us a little bit about
0: himself. I'm a junior doctor and working in Sydney, and um, I'm interested in psychiatry. Um, I'm in my first year out, so at the moment I'm trying to get into psychiatry training. Um, I have an Indigenous background. I spent a lot of my childhood years in remote and rural Aboriginal communities, and then A lot of my working life as well. Um, Before medicine, I was in the military for 10 years and I was a paramedic as well. And um, I became interested in mental health during medical school. So I did my electives in mental health and came across Professor Philippa Hay, who got me interested in doing some research. And so since then, I've done some research um, with her into eating disorders in uh, Aboriginal people.
1: Can you give a bit of background about Indigenous health historically before we went into the study?
0: Yeah, so we know from large studies, the Australian Burden of Disease Study, which looks at the fatal and non-fatal causes of diseases, the leading causes of diseases in the Australian population, but there's also the specific Indigenous study. And they found that mental disorders accounted for the greatest proportion of non-fatal disease. Um, It's well known, the gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous life expectancy is about 10 years. Indigenous Australians have far more cardiovascular disease, far more uh, renal disease, and along with that, more likely to live in poverty, more likely to have all of these social related issues. So far more disadvantaged population generally.
1: So how did this research into eating disorders come about? Like, how did that become an interest of yours?
0: I guess nothing was known about the field and um, Professor Hay sort of got me interested in it because that's her specialisation. And um, I guess because there was only a few papers um, written on eating disorders in the field and I guess to effectively treat and prevent any kind of illness, we need prevalence data. And so that was lacking and there was a gap to be filled there.
1: So why do you think eating disorders hasn't been looked at till now? Like, do you think it hasn't been considered as a serious problem like the other mental disorders?
0: Sometimes it is, yeah, much like addictions. Sometimes it's, I think it's seen as mm. something else, not, not a part of mental health, but I think that's changing.
1: And in your uh, personal experience, have you seen any evidence of eating disorders among the Indigenous community?
0: Yeah, um, of co- absolutely. In my circles, I've known several Indigenous people who've had eating disorders. Um, bigger data shows that mental disorders are, the biggest non-fatal burden of disease in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people by far. And a part of that, I guess, like there was no data included in that on eating disorders, which, you know, shows that there is a gap.
1: Yeah, major gap. So you said there has been some research done, but I mean, how much did you know about the prevalence of eating disorders or about eating disorders in general going into it?
0: There were studies done by Professor Hay and Chris Carriage. They measured eating disorder symptoms amongst um, Indigenous Australians and they found that binge eating behaviours were more common amongst First Australians but previously nothing to the diagnostic level had been done. There were no systematic reviews or scoping reviews done on the issue and there was a previous study, a nice study done in Melbourne which looked at body image disturbance and media messaging between Indigenous Australians and non-Indigenous Australians and they found that Indigenous Australians were more sensitive to media messaging and undertook more behaviours to change their weight and shape despite receiving less media messaging. But even more interesting, that study was done in the early noughties, before social media or Facebook became a widespread sort of thing. So that would be, be interesting to see what would come if they did that study now.
1: Why do you think that is? Like, why are they being affected more by these kind of messages? than non-Indigenous Australians?
0: I'm not really sure, but there are some sort of... I could make some observations. I guess that the main role models for Indigenous Australians are elite athletes. There are only a few um, Indigenous academics like Stan Grant and Marcia Langdon and people like that who are high profile. But for the most part, elite athletes, super, one in a million elite athletes are the main role models for Indigenous Australians. So I guess that it wouldn't surprise me that if you only have this remarkable athlete to sort of aspire to, that would be bound to have some sort of effect on you.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, and it's just such an incredibly important piece of research, as you said, because there's so much, there's so little information um, on eating disorders and nothing into prevalence, really. So what did you do?
0: So we've done, we've done two papers. So the first one is uh, an adolescent paper. Um, we looked at eating disorders uh, amongst of teenagers in uh, or high school students. To do that, they used data from the Everybody Study, a survey of there over 5,000 students from several schools. Um, they asked questions in this survey on eating disorders and to the diagnostic level, what we call the diagnostic threshold. And they also asked questions about general well being, health, socioeconomic status. And what they found was that. Overall, eating disorders were more common amongst the Indigenous students, about 1.5 times more common. So it was 28% amongst the Indigenous students and 21% for the other students. And that high prevalence was largely explained by the higher prevalence of night eating syndrome amongst the Indigenous students.
1: Can you explain what night eating syndrome is?
0: It's similar to binge eating disorder. The person would complain perhaps about a lack of appetite in the morning and this strong desire to eat between dinner and bedtime. They might have symptoms of insomnia. They believe they need to eat in order to fall asleep. And it may be associated with some depressed mood and causing impairment. So interfering with your life.
1: So this is not a disorder or an eating disorder that's very common among non-Indigenous people, is it?
0: I don't think so. No, certainly not this common. It was about, I think it was about three and a half percent amongst the non-indigenous students, and about more than seven percent in the indigenous students.
1: So, what what do you reckon's going on there?
0: We're not sure, but we did find when we did a multivariate analysis, so when we accounted for lots of variables, we found that the higher prevalence of eating disorders was explained because of poorer psychosocial well-being amongst the indigenous students. So. Being Indigenous itself was not independently associated with having an eating disorder. It was because the Indigenous students had poorer psychosocial health.
1: So what does that mean? Like, can you tell me some examples of how that might result in night eating?
0: That level is not of sort of detail, is not really known. There is evidence, though, of more sleep problems amongst Indigenous children. So that, that is one interesting link. But that, that detail of it is not known yet.
1: Yeah, so maybe going forwards. Yeah. So, what are the implications, do you think? Like, where to be from here?
0: Definitely a greater awareness um, amongst people who tend to treat Indigenous patients. So, especially those who work in high Indigenous areas. So, the central coast of New South Wales, um, Western Sydney, South Western Sydney, um, very high Indigenous populations in New South Wales. So, a greater awareness, especially Aboriginal medical services, they tend to see a lot of Indigenous patients. And I think there is a need, based on this and other research that we did, um, there's a need to screen for eating disorders, I think. They're probably common enough to screen for them. And they're certainly debilitating enough and and serious enough to to want to screen for them. So a validated screening tool is needed.
1: Do we have one for the Indigenous population?
0: No. And that was one paper that we've um, just written and submitted. Um, We asked that exact question and no, there hasn't been one for eating disorders. There's been one for major depression, really nice um, study. They developed this sort of specific screening tool for depression and then they validated it in different Indigenous communities. Um, Something like that for eating disorders would be great. Right. Interestingly, out of this study also, we've come to think that the model for eating disorders amongst this group or the reason that there might be so many is that the Indigenous community has a relatively larger proportion of young people. The average age of an Indigenous person is in the early 20s as opposed to the late 30s in the non-Indigenous population. So they have a larger pool of younger people with poorer psychosocial wellbeing, more disadvantage. Therefore, there is a larger pool likely to become ill with something like an eating disorder or another mental disorder. You're listening to the Inside Out Institute podcast. Rethinking eating disorders from the inside out.
1: Can we move on to your adult study now? Yeah. How was one
0: conducted? So this study was conducted using data from the Health Omnibus Survey in South Australia. So it's a large population based survey. Trained interviewers go out and at random they select different communities, rural and urban. And in this case they ask questions that were also diagnostic of eating disorders. So for binge eating disorders, anorexia nervosa, all the eating disorders, they asked questions, compared those to the DSM-5 criteria for eating disorders to come up with that diagnostic level. And then compared non-Indigenous and Indigenous groups. And what we found was that eating disorders were much more common amongst Indigenous adults. So 27% compared to 16%, which um, has come out of studies using the same data.
1: That's a massive difference. Yeah. Were you surprised?
0: Yeah, we were definitely surprised at that. Obviously a significant difference.
1: Yeah, and is it the same as the um, um, adolescent study with, in regards to the night eating syndrome?
0: No, um, we found that the most prevalent eating disorder amongst the adults was the unspecified feeding and eating disorder with binge eating features. So again, it's a binge eating type disorder, but not the night eating syndrome.
1: And what are your thoughts about that? Do you have any ideas why?
0: Well, we found that the eating disorders occurred more in Indigenous Australians in this study, because again, because of poorer mental health, generally, poorer uh, mental health related quality of life, a higher BMI amongst the Indigenous group, and the younger age, so on average, they're a younger population, which again feeds into that idea that we had that there's a larger pool of younger people. Um, a really interesting thing that we found in this study was that overvaluation of weight and shape, which is a feature uh, of a cognitive feature of eating disorders generally, was higher in the Indigenous group, um, obviously with an eating disorder, but it was higher in the Indigenous group without an eating disorder compared to non Indigenous Australians who had an eating disorder.
1: Right, so what do you think? What's going on?
0: So perhaps in this overvaluation of weight and shape is obviously going to be higher in younger people like teenagers, and we think perhaps it either doesn't diminish with adulthood in this Indigenous population or it doesn't d- diminish as much as in other people.
1: Right, do we need to start tailoring obviously screening? But what about eating disorder treatment?
0: Yeah, perhaps um, th- that's sort of work that's yet to be done. And I think that's something that's, um, that some of the people in our research group are looking at doing, specifically with psychological therapies. But as far as the evidence goes, that ha- that work is still yet to be done. It's, a, it's sort of a new area. But again, screening for eating disorders, especially in the primary care setting, so that we can identify the cases.
1: And when you're saying it's um, obviously to be a mental... Disorder, it has to cause impairment. Um, How how is this impairing like their lives?
0: Do you think? Yeah, I guess um, if you look at the the evidence, say for example, anorexia nervosa, the level of impairment is not dissimilar to people who suffer with schizophrenia. It's it's unbelievably debilitating. As you can like, there is evidence from the census, for example, um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander have two to three times the level of psychological distress compared to the rest of the population and that's widespread so you can imagine on top of that if you have an eating disorder as well you already have this baseline level of disadvantage and impairment and stress It, it would be it's incredibly debilitating and i guess if you live in an area of need and in a more disadvantaged community i guess even reaching out for help would be even harder Hence the need to screen for these disorders when, whenever we see an Indigenous patient.
1: Which services or like where can that intervention happen? Uh, I think like
0: in primary care settings where they see um, Indigenous Australians, um, they conduct an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health assessment, which is a specific Medicare item. And in that Aboriginal um, health check, they screen for um, cardiovascular disease, um, respiratory diseases. Um, there are a few questions sometimes about depression and general physical wellness. However, there's not enough mental health screening done. And especially since that, since mental illness is the greatest burden of non-fatal disease, it makes sense that it would become part of that perhaps. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I think that would be the, the first step, identify them. And then if, say, a general practitioner, a nurse came across someone who had you know, screened positive for an eating disorder, they could use a validated instrument to flesh that out with specific questions on eating disorders that are culturally specific, validated as being um, useful and sensitive and specific. That's the sort of ideal. And then eventually, hopefully we can develop you know, culturally appropriate treatments, psychological therapies and things like that. Another yeah. interesting thing we found in this study, there were about 1600 people in, this, in the survey who did not disclose their Indigenous Australian status. Of that group, they had higher levels of overvaluation of weight and shape greater than the the group who indicated that they were not First Australians, which makes us think that the prevalence may even be higher than what we found in the study because First Australians in our study had higher levels of overvaluation of weight and shape. So potentially, this is a conservative estimate.
1: Yeah, right. Do you think there's a relationship between not disclosing and having higher levels of distress in that way?
0: I think there are many reasons why somebody who is an Indigenous person wouldn't disclose their Indigenous status. And there are legacy issues, political issues, fear of government. There are many reasons that someone would not disclose, especially to an official type of person who's come to their house to ask them questions, very personal questions.
1: So potentially
0: it's a conservative, 27% is a conservative estimate.
1: We've talked a lot about what mental health professionals can do and GPs and policy and that sort of thing. But what can everyday Australians do to help?
0: It's a mental... I think I see them as being mental illnesses like other mental illnesses. They're linked with suicide. And I think just being aware and being concerned about, you know, a friend or a relative of yours who has something like that and talk to them about it. I know in amongst healthcare workers there is always Are You OK Day, raising awareness of suicide amongst health professionals and stuff like that. So I think... Just being aware of it and if you're concerned, talking to someone about it and tell them that there's, you know, help available if they are in distress and encourage them to seek help.
1: Thanks for listening. If you're keen to find out more about the research we've discussed, check out the show notes for links to the papers. For more information about Inside Out, our website is insideoutinstitute.org.au. Have a great day.
0: If you or a loved one needs support, please head to our website or call the National Eating Disorders Helpline at Butterfly on 1-800-ED-HOPE or 1-800-33-4673.